As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Welcome to all of you, especially those who are uh, joining perhaps for the first time and some of you who graduated or finished many years ago and coming back again. It's always a pleasure and it's an advantage of being online. And just to give you a background of what we are doing, we are studying First Peter and the context in which uh, we are studying First Peter is the fact that uh, Peter, like uh, most of the other letters, were written to the church when they were going through a difficult time. And uh, I must say that it's not only Peter. In fact, uh, I can't think of any other letter which was written in times of peace in the Bible because after the early church uh, was established with the coming of the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, we find that chapter 3 itself, the Peter and John were arrested. And then in chapter uh, 8, we find that Stephen was killed and the persecution increased. So right from the beginning, the early church, as I said earlier, was a targeted community. And later on, the violence against them increased, along with the violence on the uh, other people as well, because they were under the rule of the Romans, and history says that they destroyed Jerusalem fully, and not only Jerusalem, uh, the Christians fled to other places. And so Peter is one of those letters which were written to the church to encourage them, to help them to handle that situation. And what is interesting is that uh, almost all the letters, as I said, whether it is Paul or Peter or John, all of them were written by people who themselves had gone through persecution. And in fact, were going through persecution. Paul's letters were largely written from the prison. And then you have uh, John writing from his uh, place where he was uh, under arrest and put on into an island. And so most all the, even they were writing from situations of pain. And so it's, it's actually filled with expressions where people understood what they were going through and were writing to encourage people who were going through similar situation. And I think, therefore, when we study any of the New Testament letters, we must understand it is written in a context of pain, persecution, and a lot of grief that they were going through because they were losing people. And that is why some of the teaching about uh, second coming addresses is addressed in the context of people feeling the grief. And so basically we're looking at bus Peter to see how did Peter tell them that they should handle the situation? How did they, how should they handle? And I think it's very important to realize that almost all the letters were written to the church to encourage them, in fact, to be proactive. 
not to be reactive. And unfortunately, the church is going through a difficult time when the lockdown, as well as the fact of what is happening around us in terms of the pandemic, seems to have made us a community of people who are happy to exist by not actually uh, en engaging ourselves. This morning, I was in a session attending a, in a call by the Evangelical Fellowship of India. And uh, there were different people, they were talking about how the church should respond uh, to the pandemic as it spreads from the context of Delhi and Maharashtra into rural parts of North India and in other places as well. It was an all India consultation. And uh, many people shared, in fact, uh, those who are health professionals shared about what can the church can do. And uh, the others talked about what they are doing. But one thing stood out very clearly in all those expressions was that, that the health professionals, for instance, are going through a major crisis. And uh, they're struggling, they're struggling. Many of them are having nervous breakdown. Uh, I was reading a mail yesterday where the doctor was saying, I can't, uh, you know, written to somebody else, saying I can't even uh, talk and I can only write because when I talk, I start weeping because of the number of dead uh, people, the deaths they have to relate to, uh, to deal with. And it's a, a difficult time. And then the, they're overworked. But what was interesting is that uh, the health workers or the people who spoke on behalf of the health institutions were saying, if there's one thing we need desperately is that of volunteers. We need volunteers who will take on the responsibility, not just volunteers outside the health system. Of course, they said we need volunteers, especially as the pandemic spreads into rural India, uh, to who can create awareness in the community and uh, who can educate people about uh, preventing the disease uh, from spreading, helping them to deal with other health issues that they have. And then in the context of health organization, they said, we need volunteers who would come and uh, meet with the families who are in the hospital outside. And then when in the midst of all that they were all suggesting, there was one doctor who made his comments uh, towards the end. Yeah, one of them who made a comment was very interesting. He said the major problem that he notices, he's from a Hindu background, a Hindu convert. He said the major problem that he notices about the Christian community is that they are held down by fear. He said, they are scared, you know, and he said, uh, they are scared. Even if they have vaccination, they won't go out. And he said, so the church has to encourage its people not to be scared. Fear seems to have crippled them from engagement. And he says, we need volunteers. And you know, for instance, some of the health institutions say, we need volunteers who will meet with parents, who will come uh, with the family, who will meet with the health workers and perhaps you know, pray with them. You know, so many, they listed so many things that uh, volunteers are needed. And their major problem is getting volunteers. And they said, if volunteers come in, a lot of work can actually be lessened on the health professionals. And they may not be able to go into the hospital to do something, but if you're vaccinated, you can come out. But they said, this man said, his own observation is that 
the Christian church is crippled by fear. And that was very shocking for me to hear it. No wonder we know that uh, uh, the communities like the Sikhs and others seem to be on the road where the Christians are not involved. You know, perhaps we sound like very law-abiding Christians. We only, we don't go out, we sit in the house. But his comment was, it is not because we are law. You know, he didn't say it's not because we are law-abiding. He says, actually crippled by fear. And he said, the community of faith, another one said, was never known as a group which is crippled by fear. They took risks. Mission was in the context of taking risks. People went into remote areas where there were no health facilities. The missionaries who went, they took their coffins and went because they knew they won't come back. And they went, they took risks. And he said, now the community that took risk, risks to do things in mission, today is community that is crippled by fear. We are very comfortable doing online ministries. You know, we don't mind all doing all those things. Those are very good. But the whole issue is, you know, what is the cry now is they're saying we need volunteers. If we have to stop the pandemic from expanding, from going into our rural areas and other places, we need volunteers who will come in. Now, I, th I thought that was very challenging because as I look at the epistles, in fact, the Apostle Paul and others were not addressing a group of people who were reluctant to go. And therefore, you don't find them challenging them to go because they were already engaged. Persecution didn't keep them down. They knew that if they go out, they will be arrested, they will be killed. But that didn't stop them. That didn't stop them. Wherever they went, it says in Acts chapter 11, they shared the faith. They were being a persecuted community. And I think that is a challenge. As I listened to all the conversations this morning, if there's one thought that I was challenged by, is the fact of what this doctor said is that the Christian community is crippled by fear. They won't go out, they won't take the risk. And I thought that was very interesting, especially when you study the epistles and looking at Peter and the way he writes it. He was writing to, as it says, people who were scattered throughout the province of Pontius. And that means they were scattered, they were persecuted, they had to leave the places and gone to different parts they were like refugees. But Peter was not at all trying to tell them, you know, uh, go out because that was not the issue. They were proactive. They were engaged. And so I want to look at, that's the purpose in which we are looking at this particular letter to see what does it mean to handle crisis situations. And what we saw in the first two studies was the fact that to handle crisis, Peter started off in chapter one, looking, we looked at verses one to one and two, was basically, or one, two, and three, I think, where we looked at the context of Peter's emphasis that you have an identity that you must always remember of what God has done for you in terms of calling you and in terms of the work of God in you. And therefore, your identity is very important in handling crisis because of who you are. And when this, when I heard that we are crippled by fear, I thought, you know, perhaps that's a good way to start. Ask ourselves, what is causing you this pain? What is causing you this fear that you don't want to be engaged? You know, because Peter is saying, you have an identity, you've been called by God. 
and you not only have a call, a, an experience of God, but you have a living hope. He said, into which God has given us new birth. So we are challenged, we are inspired by the hope that we have, that what is happening around us is not something that is going to destroy, but actually move us to a place, not now perhaps, but sometime when God's new kingdom will be established. So the church was driven by hope, but now hopelessness seems to have crippled us rather than being a community of hope. The last time when we met, we were looking at verses uh, four onwards, verses five onwards, where Peter said, because of this hope that we have, what happens is when you go through difficult times, you begin to apply this hope into the situation, knowing that difficult situations are actually those situations that shape us and shape us in preparation for, it says, for the salvation that we have. And that's what we, that's where we stopped last time. That's saying that there is a salvation. He says in verse nine, you are receiving when you go through these difficult times and it shapes you the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that salvation, as I said, is a journey that starts, as Peter said earlier, when you have an encounter with God. But it is not the final event. It is the beginning of a journey. And he says a part of this journey that you concludes with this salvation is that in which you go through difficult situations. And the difficult situations, it says earlier, it shows the genuineness of your faith. And so you begin to see how you handle difficult situations explains the genuineness of your faith and not only the genuineness of your faith, it's a part of the journey in which you will finally come to the place where we will experience the salvation of our souls, the end result of the salvation. Now that's where we stopped last time. Now, naturally we should move to the section which starts with verse 10 and goes on to verse 12, but I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to read it because I want to come back to it before I complete the study on first Peter. And it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that has come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have been told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Now here is Peter going in a tangent, not you know accidentally, but intentionally, because the theme of salvation is very central in, many, in almost all the letters in the New Testament. And they look at it, as I said, from different perspectives. And it's so beautiful when we look at it. And here Peter started off by saying that we have had a new birth into a living hope and the journey begins there. And then he goes on to say here that this salvation and finally it ends with the salvation of your souls. But then he says, you know, concerning this salvation, which Peter was explaining to them, 
He says, it is a privilege that you and I, he says, have are part of this journey. You know, even though it was predicted or it was prophesied by the prophets, he says, they not only talked about it, but they also tried to understand it. They searched intently and with greatest care. They, in fact, were told by God's spirit because they received God's spirit in order to tell them, tell or write down or prophesy about this salvation. But they had no idea what they were talking about. They were talking about the Messiah who will come and through his death, you know, he be, would be redeemed by grace. They had no idea. And he says, they, in fact, not only prophesied, not only spoke about it, but they also searched intently with the greatest care. They began to study because they were the ones to whom the message was given to tell about the Messiah's coming. So they wanted to inquire. But unfortunately, you know, their great study, you know, their search, they intently searched and uh, with greatest care did not come to any conclusion. They couldn't understand because certain things in the scripture are not understood by studying just the words. And that's what they tried. They tried searching. They communicated it faithfully. They wanted to understand it. They studied it, you know, in, as it says, searched intently and with greatest care. But they had no idea what they were talking about. And many times it happens. It happens because the time of the text has not yet come. And they were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted, when the prophets were predicting the suffering of the Messiah. It was, but the spirit revealed to them, even though the spirit didn't tell them when it's going to happen and what is going to happen, they faithfully prophesied. But the spirit revealed to them, it says, that they were not serving themselves. So perhaps like Daniel, they asked God, God, what does this mean? You've asked, you've given us, shown us this vision. And the spirit told them, you know, the time has not come. The time has not come. And I think it's very important to understand there are certain texts in the scripture. We may study carefully, search intently with greatest care. But the spirit of God will not reveal to us what is the time before the time itself. It, the spirit will not. But instead, what the spirit revealed to them is that they were not serving themselves, but you. It's for a future time. It's for a future generation. At that time, the spirit will speak. And unfortunately, when the spirit did communicate, when Jesus came, the Messiah came, most people did not recognize it. Even though the spirit told them, this is the time, this is the time. And Jesus constantly told them, this is what the scripture said. And he showed the disciples from Moses onwards, the scripture was bearing witness. And so what happens is, there is one, one thing we must understand is, sometimes our study, our careful knowledge will not help us to understand the text because there is a timing of the text. We will understand the words and the spirit, all that the spirit told the prophets was, it's not your time. It's for some other community, for a later time. And it says, so therefore it was revealed to them. They were not serving themselves when they spoke of the things they have now been told you 
by who those who preach the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven it says you know now is the time and at this time the holy spirit using the people who preach the gospel and that's you began to understand these things and it says not only the prophets couldn't understand they read they studied but they didn't know but even the angels long to look into these things even the angels long to look into these things so what peter is saying hey this part of the journey in which you and i are involved is something that earlier generations had no idea about yes in heaven god talked about salvation but even the angels it says even angels were waiting to see how is it going to happen because god was going to put up great plan in place and so peter is saying this is the salvation that you are experiencing the journey and a part of this journey is the crisis situations you're going through because in through that crisis your faith itself is being tested the genuine condition or the genuineness of your faith and so when we go through it remember it's the salvation that we are experiencing it and how we respond reveals actually the quality of our experience of that salvation we are a very privileged people it doesn't mean the earlier times the prophets didn't suffer the prophets suffering was not part of their salvation experience prophets suffered for the truth of what they were communicating but for us it is a part of the journey which makes us which shapes us and so the next time or the, before i end i want to look at what peter says about salvation because it says it in different places so but i want to move on so firstly we said identity is very important what helps you to deal with a crisis is a clear understanding of your identity second is what helps you to handle crisis is the way you look at a crisis in terms of shaping us in our journey of salvation now the third thing that peter would say in verse 13 therefore he says therefore with minds that are alert and sober set your hope upon the grace to be brought to you when jesus christ is revealed at his coming as of the obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you been you have lived in ignorance when you lived in ignorance but just as he who called you is holy be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because i am holy now that's a very important point that peter is now saying so we are looking at the third important thing peter emphasizes is crisis is no excuse to drop your guards on on your values because he says be holy even as i am holy because sometimes when you go through crisis we almost justify things that we do which violates the character of god i've had people who would say that you know sometimes it's difficult you know it's very difficult i know there are sometimes as i listen to especially my friends who are in the health profession it's painful because they have to make a lot of ethical decisions and i'm not sure whether i told you last time but i was talking to someone and they said one of the biggest problems that we have is when you have two patients who are brought into the hospital 
and one with coronavirus and a young person in the 30s and you have an older person who's also brought into the hospital but may not be coronavirus or maybe coronavirus but both of them needing oxygen and you have one oxygen cylinder that is left in the hospital who would you give the or the oxygen to with you know do you give it to the older person or do you give it to the young person to save a life which is very young this is ethical decisions are are one of the biggest struggles that the medical profession is going through and i feel bad for them i feel bad for them and many of them are christian young people and they are struggling with who should we give admission for because here are two people lying outside both of them need oxygen but is it first come first serve or is it who needs it most it's a difficult question but in crisis situations there are many questions which come our way which are difficult question and here peter would say that it is important for us to do is that to remember that god is holy and god expects us to be holy so he says in this these few verses about the that emphasis but the way he says it is also very important he says therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when jesus christ is revealed he's already talked about hope that is kept for us and we will see it we will experience it again he says we are hope driven people we are a hope driven people and he says therefore set your minds on that that are so with minds that are set alert and fully sober set your hope and i like the way he emphasizes because sometimes we feel mission is an emotional response peter is not saying that you know with your emotion you respond he says with your mind that is alert and fully sober you know your decision to be engaged it is a decision of your mind because sometimes our emotions take over and we don't get engaged because we say no it is difficult you know suppose i get covid and what will happen i can't get involved like they said about the volunteers he said hey don't let your feelings make the decision you know set your mind it says set with, therefore with minds that are alert and sober think through think through and he says get involved as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance that means earlier you lived in ignorance you made decisions based out of ignorance and that was the way you lived but now don't make decisions out of ignorance think through your decision and he says be holy as god is holy and very important for us to remember in crisis situations don't compromise values don't compromise values get engaged get involved participate in whatever you can but at the same time we are finding today in our country the most difficult situation is the fact there is so much of corruption in the process of even care being provided even the cremation they were telling me that the firewood is being sold at a very high price there's corruption all over a friend of mine was saying that they were trying to get medicines for their dad what used to be sold at 5000 rupees was sold at 1 and 1/2 lakhs 
150,000 rupees. Can you imagine? There is corruption everywhere and the rich have become richer. And I heard that the five pharmaceutical companies have made billions. Their produce made them billionaires during this thing. And the whole issue is people are looking at an opportunity to make money out of it. And I think it's very important as Christians, we have to say, this is not the time in which we let our guards down. The God who's called us is a holy God. There are values that God is committed to. And so when we get, you know, when you go through crisis, remember your values, you know, and it's very important because not only in a major crisis like this, I've heard many people when they go through crisis, they actually, you know, and I was, uh, they actually say that, you know, it is because of the situation. I had no choice. We were counseling a young couple just the last few days and uh, they have had a major problem. And, uh, you know, are not understanding the culture of each other. They both are from the same place, same placement, same state. But one grew up in, the, in Delhi and the other grew up in their context. And so there are cultural clashes. And when they get culture, when they cultural, when there are clashes, they let their guard down and they act. And in fact, they were telling me, I was never like this before marriage. You know, and so interestingly, you know, it's only after marriage, you know, the way they were, they surprised with themselves at the anger that they have, the way they react, you know, and the whole issue is marriage was not the problem. Marriage brought out something in them, which they didn't know existed. And, and I was listening to them and I said, they were justifying what was, what was happening because they said, we were never like this before. But when we went through the crisis, what happened is that the value systems we thought we had, we suddenly realized we did not have. Crisis has this ability to somehow cause you to drop the guards that you have, the values that you have. And very important, therefore, Peter writes and says, you know, remember, God is holy. And then he goes on to say, that since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, because you're calling God as your father. And remember, when you call him as a father, you're calling the God who judges people impartially. And you can't expect this father. Yes, he's a father. The father who shows mercy, he shows grace. Yes, true. But he's also the one who judges people impartially. So when you call him father, he says, remember that he, you are actually making yourself open to the judgment of God. So you can't get away by violating values. Crisis is no excuse. God will judge you. So he says, so live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, uh, interestingly, he started off by saying, you are exiles. There's a big difference between being an exile and living as a foreigner. You can be a foreigner or not a foreigner and still be an exile. But it is doubly a problem that if you are a foreigner and an exile. And the foreigner is something in which that is your status. You don't belong to this place. The way you make decisions is, just, is not the same. So he says, when you go through crisis, remember, again, not only do you have a different identity, 
in terms of the living hope but also remember you are not a part of this world in which you live jesus said you are in the world but you are not of the world so how you react should be very different and he says you do it in reverent fear because your father will judge everyone impartially he's not going to show favor to say okay you're a child of god so you have a right to lose your temper no he's not going to do that he will judge all people impartially and then he says for you know then again i'm going to skip this part for you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of land hand life handed down to you by your ancestors but with the precious blood of christ a lamb without blemish or defect and he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last days for your sake through him you believe in god who raised him <coughs> from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in god the reason i'm skipping this is because again it is about salvation about what god has done for us in jesus christ so i'm going to come back to it later but what he says is that you know you have a different identity you have been you know you are live as foreigners because you have been bought by christ and then he says therefore he says in verse 22 now that you have purified yourself again salvation is seen as a process of purifying us by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other peter's next important thing is the last one was be holy as god is holy and in crisis situations remember more than any other situation remember he says express your love for each other love one another deeply from the heart and i think it's a very important aspect because sometimes when we go through crisis we become the most selfish people and you're surprised how selfish we can become during crisis time because it's all about us definitely it is all about us our problem our pain but i think one thing that the covid has done is that the fact of information flow and especially with this wave 2 has helped us to understand that our problems are nothing compared to the problems the rest of the world is going through you know every morning you know i dread to open the you know my message because i hope nobody i know has died but that's not the truth somebody dies yesterday morning i was in in a, in a meeting i think yesterday yeah that's right uh yesterday was monday right and we prayed for somebody that they last you know those of you who received my prayer uh new information we would have prayed for a lady by name jolly thomas she was in the aims for quite some time and uh, she and her husband are involved in the city of delhi in some ministry and uh, selina auntie selina says she remembers seeing him seeing her face somewhere very young i think she must be she doesn't look very old she must be in her 40s uh, yeah, you know i i i had a picture somewhere and uh, she died and how did she die we've been praying for her healing and they said she's in aim she's on ventilator she's on ventilator and then they were saying she was improving yesterday morning she was discharged you know they said she's come through she came home and collapsed and died you know and you just say god what is happening you know i think they've got two small children i don't know about the family i think they have two children 
and the father is in another hospital with COVID. And she came home and sudden, and as soon as she came home, I understand her oxygen level dropped and then her kidney failed and she died. And we're hearing so many stories about it, so many such incidents. You know, people, a young person came home, had a heart attack and died. There was a blood clot. They be hear about cardiac attack, you know. So when we live in such a situation as this, we suddenly realize, hey, my pain is nothing compared to the pain that the whole world is going through. And then we hear about so many children being left without parents. Parents, you know, mothers who are widowed, you know, and husbands who have become widows. You know, suddenly, you know, the whole issue widowers, you know, the whole world seems to be in pain. There's grief anywhere you touch. And it's easy for us in spite of that, to not to go through life without expressing our love for one another. And that is where it's so shocking. You know, how did you go through eight hours, you know, at least a call to someone to find out. You know, and uh, Aunt, you know, Selena keeps talking to so many people, JNUCF and others. And there are some of, I, I don't know whether some of you may not know everybody in the in JNUCF past, present. Uh, and some of them, when we call, we are surprised how much pain they're going through. Somebody who lost a father, and not only a father, and then her brother-in-law is in the hospital crisis. And a difficult situation. You know, we can't do much. Definitely, we can keep in touch. And I think these are days in which you can't use the excuse saying we were busy. Because we are the master of our time. You know, we have, we have, time is in our hand. It's just a matter of reordering our life to say, one hour today, I'm going to just call friends. I'm going to call family members. You know, that's all I think Peter would have expected if we live in our time where we in the restricted ways, we can love one another. And he's not talking about loving the world. He's just talking about the community of faith. You know, in times of like this, you know, just keeping in touch, you can't do much. We had one of our JNU girls, you know, Selby, some of the older students, you know, members will know. Now she lost her husband. She's been posting on Facebook, you know, the pain that she went through. But I think it's okay. It's okay for us to read Facebook and to know, but a call would make a big difference. A call would make a big difference. I know chat is important, but I, you know, I've talked to some of them who have lost loved ones and a call makes a difference just to hear their voice. And if you can work a time out and make a video call, seeing a face makes a difference. These are all important things in communication. And if you say, you know, I'm so busy I think you'll have to stand before God and one day give account, you know, as to why didn't you make one hour available to call somebody. And it's sometimes very painful. And sometimes these opportunities don't come your way. One of the things I always regret is, you know, many years ago, it was 1981, I think, yeah, 81. My father, you know, those were days when, uh, you know, we didn't have all these facilities. Uh, and no mobile phone. And uh, we had gone to Chennai for, I was going for a meeting somewhere further south. 
and our son Sandeep was just, I think, uh, two years old. No, one, uh, two years old. And we went together and then Selina and uh, Sandeep stayed back in Chennai. I went down for a meeting, came back. And then we came back to Delhi. You know, I was busy here with pastoral ministry, but we had, I think, one or two weeks there. And then when we came back, uh, we got a surprise after perhaps for a week, we, uh, you know, by post, we received a letter, a lovely letter with a photograph. My parents had taken Sandeep and being the first grandson, they took him out, you know, and they loved him. They took a photograph with him and they took a photograph with him. And it was so good to see my parents holding Sandeep. Selena and I looked at the photograph and we were happy and we were surprised. But those days we didn't have a phone and there was no mobile phone. There were no landline in our house. And, uh, but that's no excuse. And we went on with life. We received the letter. Then in June, I got a, we got a message saying my dad was serious and we flew down from Chennai to, from Delhi to Chennai. And then my dad passed away. And he was in, in the ICU and uh, so hardly any, we didn't get time to talk. Towards the end of the, you know, when he, that day, I think the day he died or the day before, we went to meet him, we saw and he just asked us how we were doing. But after daddy died, as the body was placed at home and my mother asked me, did you get that photograph which daddy sent you? I said, yes, we got, it was so nice. She said, could you, could have, you could have written at least one line to say you got it. Daddy was waiting for six months just for a line from you. Now I can't change it. He's gone. And I think some of us perhaps will have regrets that we feel that we could have done something to bring a smile. And this lockdown is a time I think we should say, God, teach me to love somebody teach me to love somebody, just a postcard, perhaps, it's not very hard because you have to go to a post office and uh, we may not want to risk it, but you can always do something. There's somebody hurting whose life can be different with just a call, you know? And I think these are times, and Peter would say, love one another, you know, love one another deeply from the heart. For you being born again, again, he goes back to that. For you being born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through living and enduring word of God. And he says, because you are born again, you are a new person. You can't allow the crisis to make you respond like the world responds. You know, you can't put down your values. You can, you know, you can't stop loving people. And thirdly, he would say, you know, you know, you've been born again by this imperishable living and enduring word. And then he says, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy and slander, envy of every kind. And like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by that you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He said the third important thing is grow in God's word. You've been, the whole process of your salvation was possible only because the word of God touched you. And he says, 
Now, he says, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that it, in that you may grow up in your salvation. Again, he talks about salvation, to grow deep in your salvation through hunger for God's word. I thank you. We have a Bible study and you can join. But a Bible study is not the only place to study. You can study on your own. Make time during this lockdown to say, God, I want to love somebody. I want to love people. And I want to use my time also to grow deeper in my knowledge of God's word. So that's basically what Peter would say, that how do we handle crisis? Three more things we saw this morning, this evening. One, don't put your guard down on your values. Continue to be holy. Be holy even as God is holy. Second, love one another earnestly from your heart earnestly from your heart. And thirdly, grow in your desire for the word of God. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.